Hello and welcome to Audible River. I'm Alan Rice and I'm very happy to have with me Scott Gresham Lancaster, composer and innovator in sound design and sound technology. Scott is a founding member performing with the internationally renowned electronic music group, The Hub. Scott has taught at numerous universities, including California State University Hayward, San Jose State University, and University of Texas at Dallas. And he is also a visiting researcher at UC Berkeley Center for New Music and Audio Technologies. And Scott is also a Margaret and Frank Molina Art Science Research Fellow at UT Dallas ATEC ArtSide Lab. Hello, Scott. It's great to see you today. Hey, same here. Same here. Been a while. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, Scott, Scott and I are old friends, very, and, and we are old uh, besides being old friends. So, you know, yeah. today, uh, and the reason I got in touch with you and it was what I want to ask you about, can you just start by talking about what is sonification? Okay, well, I started restating uh, re that instead of saying sonification, I would just say listening to data. So okay. we're so used to looking at data and pie charts and different graphs and, you know, things that come up on, but we really don't experience uh, the idea of having information and, and being able to get an idea about some set of information based on the way it sounds. In other words, when we think about data, we think about it as a visual thing. And uh, sound has got so much to offer in terms of, uh, you know, just, just it's, in, it's loaded with info. You can tell, you know, just by listening to something that there's all sorts of things going on. You can detect little details. And even if it's not music, just if it's a sound, if it's the sound of a bus going by, you can tell whether the bus has squeaky brakes or, you know, whatever, you know, the, 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 so things are packed with information uh, and data uh, is information or, or, or actually data might have information in it. So is there a way of using sound to get to that information? Now, the weird part, and the reason why it's not so popular, is that there is music. And so, and and John Cage sort of had the famous four minutes and 33 seconds where whatever sounds are happening become the musical piece. So now there's this like barrier, no barrier between, you know, what's music and what's sound. There's like this kind of weird nebulous area for some people and other people, every, well, pretty much everybody knows what music is. I mean, it's got a beat and there's notes and stuff like that. But, but as soon as you start taking data and fitting it into the music realm, you know, and, and making it play melodies and harmonies and stuff, then all of a sudden you have all the problems of, well, what style is that music in? And as somebody, I don't listen to that kind of, this sounds like the kind of crappy music I hate that's on, you know, Atari drum machines or whatever. I mean, you know, and, and so then you get into the whole cultural problem of music itself. But, but the, to, to back up, listening to data is what sonification is. Now, the, the problems that, that, that just trying to do that entails end up being way more than you would initially think, <laughs> just from the, my little convoluted explanation there. Well, it sounds like you, you obviously have a lot of experience with it. So how long have you been working with, uh, you know, turning, okay, let's say listening to data. Okay, no, you can you can say sonification. I just I, <laughs> the, I, I just use the listening to data thing to just sort of 
get people in the ballpark of what we're talking about. Right. It could be, you know, it sounds like some kind of scientific term, which I guess it is, but, but uh, it really is a little bit simpler than that. It's just, a, it's like you have a bunch of numbers uh, and you could put them on a pie chart. So, but what would they sound like? And if you're going to do that, how would you make those numbers sound? And there's like really literally millions of ways of doing that. And then as soon as you do it, it, it at least becomes sound. And then you get into this threshold about music that I was kind of discussing. Uh, but uh, I started, that's an interesting question because I mean, I've been involved in electronic music. My seventh grade science fair project was a theremin. And, uh, a theremin, you know, is that the little thing that used to use, they use in uh, like to make those weird noises, like space noises and things? <laughs> my, my, my most famous theremin solo is the Ray Meland in The Lost Weekend. Whenever he has a craving for alcohol, <laughs> and uh, Good Vibrations, uh, 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 the Beach Boys tune has got a theremin in there, uh -huh. you know. Okay. It might actually be a Moog rhythm controller, but anyway, that, that's a that's a technical detail. Yeah. The, the, the bottom line is uh, the theremin. It was a kind of a simple circuit that was uh, designed by Leon Theremin in uh, Moscow, and uh, I got to meet him. Uh, he was 91 years old. It was like six months before he died. Wow. He came to uh, the East Bay of San Francisco, you know, San Francisco Bay Area. And to Mills College, where I have a, a, a long affiliation. I used to be the technical director there at the Center for Contemporary Music and stuff. Anyway, I got to talk to him, and he told this great story about um, he had to show the uh, the theremin to Vladimir Lenin. <laughs> <laughs> really? 1921. So he was like, you know, he was like probably 20, you know, he's like 22 years old, 21 years old, because he's, he's an old guy. And... Uh, and uh, he goes to show, and he wasn't sure if he was going to be, you know, executed or he didn't know what was going to happen because, oh. you know, things were weird. And, and, uh, but, but, uh, Lennon really liked it. And then, uh, well, anyway, uh, Theremin's an interesting, he's, he made this instrument. And the, in, the distinctive thing about it is that you don't touch it, it's, it's all has to do with proximity. So the closer you get to the antenna, the higher the pitch goes. So as your hand, boop, and I'm moving my hand towards the screen, which you, you know listeners can't see but as you move your hand towards the antenna on this thing it goes higher and as you move your hand closer to the other antenna it gets louder so it's a combination of just moving your hands in space oh uh, wow now that's that's a that uh, just to get back to the sonification thing that's a sonification of movement it's only on uh you know a two-dimensional thing it's just along a line well it's actually it's sort of three-dimensional but it's but basically the net effect is just how close it's a proximity detection right but it is turning the distance from your hand to the antenna into a sound so so that's a sonification of movement and so and you actually yeah, go ahead you said you did that you did this when you made one in your seventh grade uh like a science project yeah, my, my science my science fair project was was that and then uh, my senior year of high school, they bought a Moog on my request at, it was like the, at Ravenswood, uh, which was this, uh, they were integrating this high school in East Palo Alto. I grew up in the San Francisco Peninsula. And so they bought a Ravox tape recorder and a Moog synthesizer. And I, you know, worked there and I had gotten invited over to the Mills Center for Contemporary Music. So w while I was a senior in high school, I was going to Mills and studying with Terry Riley and uh, different people at Mills, uh, and um, 
I saw uh, this is a long way around. Uh, just to say, I've been at it for a long time. So that, uh, here we're talking 1970, I think 1971, something like that. But there was a guy, Dom's, Tom Zarakis, who took a philodendra plant and hooked up a lie detector machine to it, and then took the voltage that was driving the needles on the lie detector, and had that play a buchla synthesizer. And he told everybody in the audience, now this is like a like at the height of the hippie thing, right? So, you know, the audience was very susceptible, whole earth catalog, that kind of thing. And and everybody, he told them, use your psychic ability and influence the sound that the synthesizer is making because of the changes in the plant. And so everybody in the audience was like, just like riveted and trying to like psychically change the, the plant <laughs> stage. You know, that was pretty impressive. And so, you know, that, that was my first exposure. And that again is sonification, taking the what we would call you know, on a human the galvanic skin resistance on a plant i mean it's a galvanic something i mean it's a it's the change of of conductivity of the plant of the philodendrous leaf mm -hmm. and and turning that into a, a voltage and then the voltage is changing some 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 of the many variables that can change on an analog synthesizer mm -hmm. uh and you know it's just been a series of experiments like that uh, i mean i could I can go through the years, but it, it just seems like I've always been doing something where uh, there's data or numbers being generated by something, and that's being turned into some sort of musical event. And so uh, the hub, which you mentioned, was an inter interactive computer music network group. And um, uh, the the hub, uh, you, what, it, what it is, is there's six of us. And we each have a computer, and we send information back and forth to each other, uh, depending on the piece. I mean, I, I can play some pieces for you uh, to, to demonstrate this. But, but basically, uh, you take uh, some, some number in from uh, when we were using MIDI, for those that I don't know if anybody in the audience knows what MIDI is. It's a way, it's called a musical instrument digital interface. Uh, that's what MIDI stands for. And you have these channels. So the way we set it up is, uh, if I got something on channel two, I know it was John, and and it would, sh and if I sent something out on channel two, it would show up as channel six, which he knew was me, and so we could transfer notes and uh, could you know control information and that kind of stuff, and then we would have these different uh, you know compositions based on the fact that we could do that, and so there were no keyboards, we were just like passing information back and forth. So, and this is starting in like 84, 85. So that's uh, the, um, the beginning of, uh, of uh, the, what they call interactive computer network music. So you were, we, you were pioneering on this uh, at that time. This yeah, network. yeah, we, we definitely were way ahead of what, I mean, this has kind of turned into laptop music and, and it's more dance oriented and stuff now. The stuff we are doing is much more kind of, avant-garde and far out and stuff but yeah yeah so scott do you have any examples you'd like to uh throw at us today I well mean, let's see yeah let's see that's a good question let's see if i if this will work uh i think the the yeah, give me a, uh, just give me a second i gotta look it up here oh uh, uh, yeah here's a piece called hot potato okay you remember the child child's game hot potato yeah where you know, you throw a, a beanbag to somebody and you pretend like it's a really hot potato and you, you throw it off this person. Yeah. Well, that's basically what this is. You throw a note to somebody else and, and they get it and they, they, can, they can transpose it. They have to turn it down. 
but they but they transpose it either up a major or minor third or down a major or minor third. So there's four notes it could possibly turn into. So you get a B flat, it could become either a D or a, you know, in other words, there's a, there's a, there's a transformation that happens and everybody's throwing this stuff around. So let's just, let's hear it. That's a minute worth. That's probably enough for now, right? Oh, that, that was fascinating. That really yeah, was. Pretty interesting stuff. I should say that's from a live performance uh, from a week-long seminar we did in Cuneo, Italy. And that's in this cathedral in Cuneo, uh, that recording. Uh, is, and it's from, there's a three-CD set on Zodic, uh, a retrospective of the Hub stuff. And that, that's a recording from that CD um, that uh, is... Uh, on Zodic, uh, T-Z-E-D, uh, John Zorn's label, Zodic. Um, so, and, is, uh, so, is, uh, so your, your pieces, when you perform with the Hub, you have, uh, let me see if I get this right. So you have sort of like rules that you're playing by, but and, and then you may call the piece by those, whatever those rules are, but the piece itself, as it's performed, could be different every time. Am I understanding that correctly? Well, that's, a, that's an interesting uh, phenomenon that happens in, they're they're sort of different, but they're not. I mean, because the rules, you know, kind of constrain it into this zone. So hot potato always sort of sort of sounded like that. I mean, it would depend on what electronic instruments were being played and stuff. But it always had that kind of density uh, that you're hearing there. You know, that sort of uh, was based around uh, that sort of thing. Oh, that you know? that's amazing. So do you have something else you want to share? Uh, uh, the hub of you know, the hub stuff. Let's well, see. yeah. Let's hear another hub piece. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay, there's a famous composer named uh, Eric Satie who did this piece called Vexations, which was uh, had the prelude in French, but it, it said, if, if one were to play this 840 times, blah, 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 well, it's, it's like 30 bars of music, and to play it 840 times takes like about 20 hours. And so <laughs> Cage did a... a a, a version of this piece one time in, in Manhattan in the early 70s or early, late 60s and it was like a 20-hour performance and with, with people coming in and spelling and so I had the idea well we got this all these computers we could speed that up you know so <laughs> I, did, I did a version of Vex where the the um, Vexations this chorale that was written by Eric Satie is played but uh, the members of the hub get the notes and then they can pass them around in that same kind of way and, and kind of 
you know, speed up the process, get the, you know, like it'll take 20 hours. It's still, I'm not sure how long. It's a pretty long piece, but. Uh, Let's just hear a little bit of it then. Yeah, right, right. It's, uh, this is the, this is leading into it. This is the end of a piece by Alvin Curran called Erat, uh, Erat Music Zoom in Berlin. This is from a performance in Berlin. Uh, here, let me scoot up until we're into the piece. Okay. It's kind of a nocturne. Mm -hmm. Can you hear that? Is it too soft? Oh no, I, I, I can uh, I can make adjustments. Yeah. Wow. My computer isn't getting power, I just noticed. Hang on. The life of an innovator, right? Yeah, right. No, I mean, it's just a stupid thing. My laptop is going to be power. Uh, the music is coming through. That's, you're hearing me, right? I am hearing you. And that was a very interesting piece okay. when you take it all together with your technical difficulties. It was, uh, it was, uh, yeah, right. It's a, it's, it's a genuine drama there on the old podcast. <laughs> but the, the, the bottom line is I'm, uh, my battery is down to nothing. And for some reason I have unplugged in, but it's not charging. So, uh, why don't you pause your thing for a second? And let me fix this. Um, yeah, you know what? I think that, uh, Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to we're going to make this a two-part episode, and then I'm going to sign out here and uh, do do the usual, and um, and we'll come back in with the second episode. Okay, that's just you know my my technical yeah. thing. Okay, all right. Okay, yeah, sure. Here, if you want to, I mean, there's no pause on the deal. Okay, and that is all for this episode of Audible River. Stay tuned for part two with Scott Grisham Lancaster.